that's like that's what the program's about. Like identify an issue, see how you can create value, and then build that value. Mm. That's awesome. That's the whole point of the program. And if it is specific to AI, you know, then then that's that's great. But the business consultant part, I think, has more weight, and I think is also more, I think, relevant in in what's coming in the future. Mm. Can you notice where there's a problem and find a solution, yeah. and then have that solution, you know, bring value to everyone who's involved in it? Yeah. Awesome. Can AI help? Maybe. On today's show, I talk with Dan Omar, program manager and curator of the AI Business Consultant Program at Hyper Island. In this conversation, Dano shares his story, how he wound up in Sweden after working as a UX designer in the States, honing skills in communication and leadership, and his thought process behind the design and development of the AIBC program without having any formal education in AI itself. Dano is creative, entrepreneurially minded, and a great storyteller. This episode is an insight into understanding your strengths and weaknesses, trusting the process, and reiterating on your situation in order to optimize for a desired outcome. Welcome to the 99 Projects podcast, a weekly show that deep dives into creative and enterprising projects. Each week we'll uncover the people and stories behind intriguing ventures and discuss the results, outcomes and lessons learned. You can find more information and sign up to our newsletter on our website, 99projectpodcast.com. Enjoy the show. Do you mind introducing yourself? Yeah, thanks for having me in this podcast. This was really fun. Yeah, my name is Dano. I'm a program manager at Hyper Island, and I'm currently responsible for the AI Business Consultant Program. I have also been... Uh, one of the, uh, I think, driving forces, I would say, uh, responsible for bringing it into being, curating who are the people who are teaching or getting involved and building the program from being uh, just some ideas on paper. I used to be a UX and web designer in a previous life, and that was like my first foray into the tech and startup world. I was doing a lot for startups and making them, I think, more accessible to human beings. A lot of like really kind of old <laughs> and, and maybe a little bit bureaucratic kind of companies, uh, not having a nice interface needed a way to be more human and, and relatable. So I was really interested in that. Um, before that, I was and still am uh, a painter and artist. I love to draw. I think it's really interesting to explore that space, um, kind of the inner, inner world, and then also to create images and and uh, represent things in you know, in, in a in a painting or in a drawing that are true to life or true to the essence of something. So I, I have that side of me as well. You are also a student at Hyper Island, as I understand. So my first education was as an artist at the Roski School of Fine Arts at the University of Southern California in L.A. So I got all of my experience in understanding design in a formal sense there. And that is what I took into the, um, the UX world. After exploring 
startup life for like six years. I then found it a bit like I'd reached my limit of what I thought I was capable of in the space that I was in in my life. Mm. So I thought I needed to level up in a way and I wanted a new challenge. So I moved to Sweden, uh, started studying at Hyper Island in, a, in, a, in another program and I approached it from the perspective of a master's. Like how could I, how could I take what I already knew from my working experience as a UX designer and my background as an artist, how can I take that into another level of you know, business value if I want to start my own creative agency, for example, mm. or if I wanted to start my own uh, web and digital services studio. Mm. Like I wanted to create my own studio, helping apps come into reality. This was back in like 2012, mm. uh, 2013. Uh, right when it was really, like, really hot to make, you know, things for the phone. Mm. And so I was getting so much business for, like, hey, can you help us make a, a phone app? Or, hey, can you help us make our websites responsive so that way they work on mobile? Mm, yeah. uh, and that, I thought, was really interesting. And I saw that there would be a big need there. But I, I lacked the people skills, I think. I lacked the leadership skills. And so what I planned to do was to crank up that while I studied at Hyper Island. I wanted to learn how do you lead teams? How do you, I, like, if you see an opportunity to start a business, how do you build it? What are people willing to pay for? How do you conduct yourself professionally? Uh, how do you do um, branding on another level? And, uh, and how, do you, how do you code? Because I had been adjacent to coding in the tech world for a long time as a web and UX designer, but if I wanted to build something myself, you know, how would I do that? Or who who would I connect with? Who could work with me on that? So that was when I was studying, and while I was studying, I, I got wrapped up and inspired by the methodology that the school uses, which is like a constructivist methodology that really allows people to chart their own course and learn the way that they want to learn and reflect for themselves rather than just imbibe whatever the person, you know, the professor or teacher or whomever is, is lecturing about. Yeah. And it was a lot more hands-on too. It was like hands-on projects. Like, okay, here's a problem. How would you solve it? So it felt like I was practicing exactly what I would imagine myself doing if I'd started a company. Mm. It's quite interesting because that's a lot of the reasons I thought about coming to Hyper Island and wanted to learn and have also found myself get a little bit caught up in, in a positive way with the methodology and the approach to learning and communication and things like that. I mean, it's a, it, it is also its own universe. So, and I think the thing is, is like I got pulled into the methodology for its own sake because I thought that, okay, this is something really cool. They use facilitators rather than instructors whose purpose is to foster like a, a healthy learning culture. And I thought that that was really cool. And it's also, it is a leadership skill to be able to, to do that kind of a thing. Uh, it's not necessary in every environment, I don't think. And I also don't think that like the CEO of a company should necessarily uh, facilitate like the way that, uh, you know, a, a group consultation or, you know, dealing with personal learning journeys, you know, that kind of form I don't think is, is appropriate. So it's, it is a technique that has a, 
particular context that can be used sometimes, but I don't think that it's everything. Yeah, I totally agree. But it's interesting because you sound like you want to be doing things, building things, creating things yeah. and helping people to do what they want to do with their business. Yeah. Um, I'm interested, how do you see your position now as the course leader at a school in comparison to this initial plan to sort of build mm. or develop your own company or agency? I had a pretty tough decision to make back in 2016. It was. I had to choose between do I continue as planned, return to the United States and start my studio, or do I stay in Sweden, explore this new thing called facilitation that I was really intrigued by and uh, double down on uh, understanding people to a new to a new depth. And also, you know, I, I had fallen in love with a, with a girl and you know, she's Swedish. I should mention also that like part of my family is Swedish. My mom was born here uh, and moved to the States when she was younger. So I have family here and there's roots. So it felt a little bit like I was choosing between my mom's side or my dad's side. And I, I chose to stay, of course, here I am. And I'm really glad that I did because not only have I been able to learn a lot about facilitation and what it's like to lead groups of individuals through their own learning journeys, but I have been able to engage my own entrepreneurial streak in building a program from the ground up. And that was pretty cool. And because it, it, I think it's been fulfilling for me to get to know a network of people. I'm, I'm a very social person and I like people and I like getting to know how they think and what makes them work. Um, but I also really like working on uh, products like or, or projects together. I like I really like building things and having a problem like, hey, the Ministry of Vocational Education in Sweden has approved that Hyper Island can run an AI business consultant program in six months from now or eight months from now. This happened in 2019, uh, beginning of 2020, right as the pandemic hit. Uh, we got approval and we were going to launch in August 2022 or 2020. And the program would run for two years, which meant that like, okay, great. We've got, I have, or our organization has now effectively six months. If you cut out summertime, which everybody takes plenty of vacation in the summer here, <laughs> uh, we've got effectively six months to build and curate a program that none of us know anything about. Like we don't have anybody on staff who knows anything about AI. And that's a really interesting challenge. Uh, and it, I actually got angry because I was like, what are we doing? Like, we don't have the internal competence. We don't have any track record with this. How would we do this? And I got so agitated by the problem that I figured that, okay, since this is attracting so much of my energy, maybe it's, it's up to me to put this together. Clearly, I care about it in some way. You know, my dad, he started a, a, an AI healthcare company maybe five years ago now. So that would be 2018, right? And, and he'd been exploring it. And, and he takes like the business side of things. He's very much more the business mind and not the engineer whatsoever. That's for his CTO. But I thought that this could be an interesting way of continuing a relationship with him because he and I relate a lot more around, you know, talking about work. So I was like, well, if I'm working in AI and he's working in AI, 
wow, cool. And he's working in AI and healthcare, and my, and my wife is a doctor. Or back then she wasn't, but now she is. She was studying at the time. I was like, and she's learning about this. So for me, it kind of created this network effect of where I could be relating to the people in my life who are important to me in fields that were important to them and a big part of their life. So I was like, okay, well, to me, this kind of makes sense. And I can build something, you know, so for so many reasons, it felt like a natural thing to do. I didn't realize you had that family connection to AI in the yeah. first place. Yeah. Obviously, AI is being talked about a lot in the media exponentially over the last few years. Mm. Um, was it your dad's company or like your dad's conversations around AI that got you involved? Or was it a combination of what you were reading, what you were seeing, and the fact that your family was somehow involved in this as well? I think it's all of those things in some way or another. Because I'm, I'm being influenced by my surroundings, the environment that I'm in, but also the relationships that I have. So my dad is a really important figure in my life. My mom is a really important figure in my life. Of course, my siblings are too. My wife is also an important figure in my life. So the things that are going on in their worlds, they're talking with me all the time about what they're doing, and we're finding ways to relate uh, about those things. Then the conversation that's going on in the world about artificial intelligence of course influences my headspace to some level and i didn't really know that much about it other than you know some small things that i had picked up when i was a ux designer and then there was this opportunity that came into my world that came into my space and i think that the combination of all those things like the relationships that are important to me the uh, the water that i'm swimming in and then what is in my immediate space that is what I think attracted me to take action. And and also, like, I, I really do enjoy learning things. Like, I have a natural, I think, bias towards exploring novelty. So if something is new, then I find it interesting and I want to try it out. Yeah, it really does make sense. And it's an interesting answer because it's like quite a nice intersection of what you want to do, what you want to learn, how it connects to your family. And then organizing this program seems like it has a bit of everything there. You can be an entrepreneur at any point in a business sense. Yeah. This probably gives you a much more well-rounded base to be able to do that in a more effective way in the future should you choose to go down that road. I, I, I would imagine so. I don't know, but it could be. The things that I've been doing, I've been networking a lot mm. because if I don't know something, the first thing I have to do is how do I learn something that I don't understand? Well, for me, there's like two things that I do. One is to use the tools that I have that are available to me. And at the time, it was like Google, right? Start Googling around, see, are there any resources out there that I could use to educate myself? And then the other one is like, who do I know? And start exploring the relationships that are closest to me that might help me navigate that. And I think exploring both of those tracks at the same time is kind of the way to do it. I made so many mistakes though, and like missed so many opportunities. If I was to do it again, I would, I would totally take a different track. For the course or? For how I got ready to run the course. Okay. Right, because, okay, I'm building something, I don't know how to build it. So I need to learn enough about it so I can talk to people about this thing that I'm building. And there's a chicken and an egg problem here because if I don't know what to talk about with these people, then I have to then I have to go and get that information. But if I don't know what information that is, 
then I have to talk to people to refine yeah, yeah. that information, yeah. right? So it's like it, I have to do both at the same time. Mm. So I was Googling and found courses like I think the University of Helsinki had put together a short course on AI that I thought was really helpful and it introduced me to some terminology and some broad concepts. That's cool. There was also a lot of other stuff online that I I rushed through and I just like picked up buzzwords. And I figured if I can just use buzzwords, <laughs> then that, right. that'll be enough mm. for me to have conversations with people, which is in one way true. You can have a conversation with somebody about something you don't know anything about and just use the right words mm. and you can get somewhere. But I think some people could smell that I didn't know what I was talking about pretty much right away. And they were the people who were like the most quality. You know, now that I can look back in time, uh, some of the most rich relationships uh, were some relationships that I squandered because I didn't respect their time enough to know just a little bit about their field. So that way I could ask questions that they might consider that I was a person who would receive the value, right? Have you, you've heard of this idea of pearls before swine. This is, it's an, it's an old like Abrahamic, uh, so like Christian and Jewish and, um, term. And then it's, it's also been, uh, used more in like modern terms as well. But it's a, it's a saying that like, if you, if you would give pearls to pigs, would they like, they don't know what to do with them. They don't see any value in pearls. Right? You have to have some understanding of like, why are pearls valuable? First, you have to understand that. And then, you know, so there's a whole bunch of other things to it. But I think the thing is, is that I was going into some conversations with people who really knew what they were doing and knew their field and could have helped me. But I just, you know, I wasn't prepared. And because I wasn't prepared, you know, I just, I didn't get to like, foster that relationship. But, you know, there's a bunch of other people who liked me. We already had an established relationship and they were more willing to kind of help uh, put me in, in a direction. And they're like, focus on this or get to know this. And then, you know, that will, that will help. And some of those people I invited to help me specifically in the delivery of the course, you know, how you know, how do you think about an AI project? What is necessary for, you know, uh, uh, understanding business problems and then communicating those problems? And yeah, I mean, in the beginning, I'll, I'll just say this. In the beginning, I thought that I was responsible for building an engineering course. Like I thought I was responsible for like, you know, helping people learn how they could, uh, how they could actually write AI models, which, which that is like a, that is a super sophisticated PhD level kind of thing. Or, or even, I mean, if you want to get a little bit less advanced, you know, to do programming of with machine learning in mind, like a machine learning approach, like that's still pretty sophisticated code. Yeah. I mean, you can dabble with coding and you can sort of do follow alongs, but to really understand what it is you're doing and how to evaluate it, how to train it properly, yeah. how to understand the results and everything. Yeah. Yeah. And the many statistical models and metrics used to, to do all of that. It's not something that would be easy for someone who doesn't have a technical background to learn within a year or two years. No, exactly. It's, it, it is a, the capstone on a base of other technical knowledge that's already there. And this program that we've 
have built here is about, you know, you don't necessarily know anything about business or data yet. So the program is about exploring business and data and then how AI can be a part of optimizing business problems. Very intro introductory. How did the idea for the AI business consultant course come about? Because I understand you were a program leader for another course first. Yeah, I was the program manager for a motion creative program, which is like for animators and 3D artists and and that kind of a track. And so that I was leaning very heavily on my experience as an artist. The idea for the AI business consultant program did not come from me. Something that we as an organization, this, this place, Hyper Island, what we do is we ask people who are working in our industry and in adjacent industries, you know, what do you think is going to be relevant in the next handful of years? What kind of skills do we need to prepare people for? The whole idea of Hyper Island is like preparing people for the future that is right around the corner. Like, how do you get good at that? And some of the evergreen qualities that we think are important are what most people will call soft skills. And that's about like, how do you communicate with other people and make sure that your ideas can co-mingle or co-collaborate uh, with others? That's one thing. And then the other thing is like, how do you navigate change and complexity. Mm. And I think that those two things together have, in, in addition to a couple of other things, have led to the education system that we have here, or the education model that we have here. And a big part of that, or both of those things, is you know, asking people who are working in the field, okay, communication, navigating change. Nobody knows what's just around the corner, but somebody who's working in a particular field has a probably better idea than, you know, a, a university or a, an administration. And then, of course, the government has their statistics and their ministry, so we have to apply to them for grants and all that. But we do get all of the people who we know in our network together and say, hey, what are the skills that are important that you imagine need to be hired for in the next three to five years? And they come back and they say, well, we'd like to know a bit about XR. We'd like to know a bit about, you know, virtual reality, or we'd like to hire somebody who really understands AI. You know, and that was that was the case. We we synthesize all those different perspectives. It could be, you know, a hundred different potential job roles, and then we whittle it down to maybe ten, and then we write applications to the 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 board of board of vocational education or the ministry. And then they compare that against their statistics and then they check with what's in the budget from you know, the, the state and then they allow different organizations to and different educational bodies to run the programs that they've applied for. So that was it. We asked people and said, hey, what, what do you think needs to be hired for? And they said, we think this is going to be important in the next decade. And these people are like, this is, this is like big companies. This is like, you know, um, consulting firms. This is uh, business and engineering firms. This is uh, public sector, you know, uh, manufacturing companies. Yeah. Can you briefly walk us through some elements of the curriculum and what topics are covered in the course? I can. Uh, I think that the, since the, the name itself is AI, business consultants that those are the two main areas of focus is like what is AI that's pretty important 
then what is business consulting? That is also pretty important. And so if you think from those two buckets, they're both very sophisticated in, in their own right. Uh, and we need to explore both of them as much as we can. Um, the AI part is about, you know, exploring uh, w what is the history of artificial intelligence? What is it? What do people mean? Uh, how is it related to data? And then, you know, w what is its function in a business context? And that's where it meets the business consultant part. Mm. And the business consulting is, it's like business school. Like how do you, you know, identify a gap that needs to be solved in some way and then put together some kind of a model that's going to provide value in exchange for resources. And that could be, you know, either you're saving time or you're saving money pretty much mm. because in most cases where AI could be an answer, it's about optimizing. You know, we can do it, we can do it in a way that saves you money or it saves you resources in another way. Yeah. Opens up time potentially for, you know, people to, focus on other things rather than monotonous work mm. or things that are maybe too complicated for a human being to do on their own. Um, the projects themselves, I figured what we would do would be to start with doing the whole thing just in a micro, micro format, mm. right? So just push, push people right into the deep end and uh, start behaving as if you were business consultants, even though you don't know how to do it, and work on an AI problem, even though you don't know what it is. Uh, the thing is, is the very first year we did this, we thought we were, I, I made a mistake. I thought we were doing engineering. So it was a totally different process. Like the process that engineers go through, um, the research phase, and then presenting a paper at the end, and like all of that is like totally different. So I, I messed that up. <laughs> the first year, but I had like really good help with the, what we call an industry leader, somebody who is working in the industry and comes in and is that expert perspective for the students. And he was really helpful for me to kind of course correct and also for the students to reorient that what they're doing is not AI consulting, but business consulting with AI. There's a difference there. I think that that's important. And learning the skills of communicating, you know, how do you communicate in a, in a client meeting? How do you communicate a pitch? How do you, uh, I think that previous program participants would say that they've heard the phrase frame the problem so many times that they are almost sick. But how do you understand what is a problem and then put boundaries around it that it's really actually clear what you're solving? You know, that's, that's, a, that's a lot of work. And then... Getting to understanding how do you present a potential solution that doesn't cost more than the way things are currently being done. So what is the technology that you're going to use? How is it going to work? What is the data that you're going to feed into that AI? Where are you going to get it? How do you make sure that it is uh, quality? I mean, first it has to be clean, but how do you make sure that it's quality and actually solving and optimizing the right thing? for the business solution, you know, that that's then another track. So we did that as the first project and we've done it a couple different ways. Like the first year we said, okay, you're going to do a treasure hunt. Like you're going to find ancient Incan treasure 
uh, how would you go about doing that? You're going to be pitching to uh, a board of investors who want to, you know, it's like a world heritage thing or, or something like that. But you're going to use AI to find this lost, you know, lost ink and gold. How do you, how do you communicate that? Where are you going to get your data? How do you convince them that you're the team to do it? That was the first year. And that was really fun. The second year was uh, different. It was a bit more, it had a different kind of problem. And it was about how do we think about smart cities and especially smart hospitals. Mm. So it was a, you, and you worked on this one, yeah. right? Like, okay, if Elon Musk wants to go to Mars, great. But then we need to make sure that the uh, hospitals on Mars are perfect. Like they're, they're failure proof because once you're in Mars, you're there, no coming back. So we're going to run a, a test. We're going to build a hospital in the desert of the United States. And we're going to use that as our training set before actually shipping it up to space. So what would need to be done from an AI point of view to make sure that that is entirely sustainable and self-contained? And that was the challenge for you and your classmates to yeah. solve. And you had like six weeks to mm. solve that. Yeah. I mean, I thought it was an interesting challenge. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, uh, but the thing is, is like that, like containing the whole program in about six weeks and then extrapolating it for the for the rest of the program. Since it's a two-year program, you have six weeks. It's basically the whole thing in a in a nutshell. Mm. And then, you know, you, we we extract it out a little bit more. And, and I, what I'm saying is a little bit disorganized because every year we've shuffled things around, yeah. like the sequence of what gets learned when. Mm. So the very first year, this was their first project, uh, but for the second year, which is what you experienced, there was um, a Principles of AI course with Gianluca Maro. And in that one, it was again, like kind of, you do the whole thing, but in a micro format. Mm -hmm. And you were solving uh, a problem for Ikea. Ikea. Yeah. And that was a bit like, I don't know if you knew what you were doing or how you were challenged, like gonna tackle it, but. You know, for, I mean, for us, it was a good experience because in that module, you do so much research into what optimizations exist, what type of use cases does AI have in business and in a business that is looking to be more sustainable. I think what we learned pretty quickly is that we're not going to come up with a great solution. It's not going to be a, the perfect solution. It's sort of you're, you're experimenting with this in order to fail, in order to understand what areas you can look into more or the skills you can develop further. Yeah. I think maybe that's really what the whole program is designed for. Mm. Like, not not specifically for failure, but like, do the thing, whatever it is, do the thing. It's not going to be perfect, but you're going to get an opportunity to take a look at it at the end and say, okay, this interested me. I want to do more of this. Or that needs, it's maybe not interesting, but it's necessary. So I'm going to have to shore that up. But it's the whole thing kind of like a giant two-year-long boot camp because it's not not possible to learn everything necessary to become like a you know a top dog at uh yeah at, at one of the big companies in this field right out of the gate uh, 
but you can start here and get a lot of experience in how to communicate and also get familiar with like what is the what are the parts in the system yeah definitely and the fact that you're working with real clients and real consultants or people within those companies mm -hmm. to yeah. define a solution to their actual problem is great experience as well because even though you might not be coming with the best suggestions you're still getting business experience and communication experience with trying to solve a problem and convey a solution yeah no that's true and i mean i think that there's been there's been varying a varying involvement of different clients i mean there's been polestar and ikea and volvo and and then we have a bunch of like smaller companies uh, we we worked with a municipality one year, like an entire city of uh, Helsingborg, and that was pretty interesting. So I mean, I think that there's a lot of people who are have their eye on this program and are interested in in how it can be helpful. And I think that they can they can also share some interesting perspectives. Hope you're enjoying this episode so far. I told you Dano was a good storyteller. This is just a quick breather to let you know that you can find links and a summary of the key points on the blog post for this episode at our website, 99projectspodcast.com. Next, Dano discusses the current technology landscape with extended and blended reality, the metaverse, and how AI will likely affect different types of industries. He also goes into more details about the AIBC program, career directions alumni have gone in after graduation, and more about entrepreneurship in general. Stay tuned. How do you see AI impacting businesses in the near future? And how does the course prepare students for this? So something that's happened in the last two months that I think is, at least on most people's mind, is ChatGPT. ChatGPT is where you can type in any prompt and it will give you a response that feels real. They have some disclaimers on their website that, ChatGPT is not always plausible. It's, it, it presents plausible answers, but they're not always accurate. So you need to double check what you're getting. It's effectively a, a search engine, not specifically a search engine, but more or less that's what it can do. It's taking information from everywhere and presenting it in a easier, more human format. And that's just one thing. And it's getting a lot of attention right now because it gets everyone in the world the opportunity to experience firsthand what is it like to deal with this. That's not the thing that I think is going to be super big. What I think is going to be super big is the invisible side, which we've already been getting affected by, uh, to my understanding, and that's the optimization of what goes where. And that can be, it can be social media content on your phone. So what are you presented with? TikTok is its own AI. <laughs> the algorithm itself is the thing that they're selling. Mm. And they're pumping information out to each person that is so specific to them based on how they engage in the app. But then there's also Amazon and like how are they optimizing their turnaround times? So since they're both manufacturing and logistics and e-commerce, like they're an entire ecosystem, and they're, they're getting really good at delivering things, not as fast as possible, but as fast as makes sense. Because if, the, if you order something now 
and then it arrives at your door tonight, that's almost, it's almost too fast. And then I guess, I think that is possible. I've been talking with some people who say that it is. Uh, but it would be a little bit too expensive. Um, and it's also not necessary. It doesn't have to be that fast. So what's like the reasonable, like appropriate time? And they're getting good at that. Like how to get it there like three to five days. So I think that there's a lot of things that will be optimized in that way. I hope a lot of, of attention goes into agriculture and into, you know, it's, it's just things that I don't really know a whole lot about, but I know our, our world depends on, mm. you know, water and sewage systems, electricity, you know, real infrastructure stuff. So that way maintenance is, is cheaper. It would be cheaper because it would be more effective. They wouldn't have to replace things so roughly. You know, they could be very precise. Yeah. So I think precision is an area that it will help. But I also think uh, in a, the social fabric will be affected a lot. Like if, if everyone is being presented with a unique world experience, right, through their phone or, you know, whatever their community is. And it's just like the, the when the Internet came, there was a lot of subcultures and like, really cool things that were happening and then you can go and be a part of a community mm. with the internet and then you've got video games and you can go and enter another world for for a short period of time and then play by the rules of that world and then you can pop out of it and then you've got you know i don't know what the metaverse is really all about right now but that's this other kind of blended reality and and they're exciting in one way but they're also kind of distractions mm. So not every company is going to need them necessarily. But I think that there's some like underlying structures, just like it's really hard to imagine a world without email now. Mm. Right? That's, that's just like, that's fundamental. Email is. <laughs> it's not like it's going anywhere. Yeah. Even though there's been so many different kinds of systems and apps to try to tear that down, like Slack, mm. you know, almost a decade ago came in and it was trying to be the email killer. But it just became another thing. So I think we're adding new environments and new tools to to our space and they serve new functions. And I don't I don't know what they're doing. And and AI is just one of those things that's going to optimize a lot of things. Mm. So I don't know. It it really depends on like what is the what is the area of focus that we want to go on. Because the social media business is different than the agricultural ecosystem and is different than, you know, an e-commerce system is different than, you know, research and space exploration, you know, like, mm. uh, or defense systems, you know, those are just totally different things. Or, or somebody wants to, you know, start their own small, small business. Mm. Or maybe that's what we might see more. We might see more people trying to start their own businesses on, on some new base technologies. Mm. I mean, I, I, I would, like I, I would try to make a business. I'm like, oh, I think, I think that maybe this is it. Maybe this is it. Maybe uh, the way we interface with technology is, is going to change. Kind of, kind of like taking uh, Google Home and Amazon Alexa and like Siri and all of these voice assistants 
can probably go to a new level with uh, some of the stuff that's happening in AI. Yeah. I think some people maybe don't know much about AI. They see that AI is this thing, but AI is just a tool that can be used across everything, like almost everything, if not everything, because almost everything can be optimized. I think it's a question of access, right? So I brought up ChatGPT in the beginning because what they have decided is they have decided to make it an open access to the public kind of tool. And, you know, that gets people thinking about what can I do with this thing? However, I mean, Google has been working on a lot of things internally with DeepMind that is not public, but it's definitely solving a lot of their internal challenges. They're optimizing problems inside and probably doing a lot of prediction and charting their course with insights over all of the data that they sit on. And Meta's doing the same thing in Microsoft and Amazon and Apple. You know, they're doing their their own their own thing there. How do you think the course prepares students for this? What I think the course prepares students for is being able to navigate the world as it's changing. Mm. Especially so there's the the underlying principles of okay, how do I navigate change? And then how do I communicate with other people in a way that works? And then the field of my focus is going to be an AI in business. So are you going to come out and be an AI engineer? Highly unlikely. Could you come out and be a project manager? Yeah, you could. Could you come out and be a developer? You know, someone who is doing possibly some front-end work in optimizing a, a web page with dynamic content that uses some machine learning tools. Yeah, maybe. Uh, I think that that's the thing that is going to, of course, be up to each individual as they go through the program to figure out what is it that they want to focus on. But I think the thing that the program prepares you for is what is it like to work in the business world? What are the problems you're going to be seeing? How do you communicate with the different stakeholders that would be involved in those problems? So I think that a lot of people will be doing things where that's relevant, and that could be in business, business um, development, or it could be in sales, it could be in project management, or it could be in engineering, but kind of at the at the start. You know, unless you come in with a experience in those fields already, and then it's just like you've been equipped with, okay, cool, I already have a strong engineering background, I'm going to go in and now I can speak... Uh, you know, a little bit more coherently with business people or the, or the reverse. I have a strong business background and now I have an easier time communicating with engineers and other stakeholders, data scientists and so on. Could you share some notable achievement from graduates of the course? I think it's really cool when people uh, share their success stories on LinkedIn, for example, when they're like, yeah, I got a job at Accenture and that's that's fun, you know, or you know, maybe that's it's pinpointing too much. Like, you know, we there are a couple people who um, secured jobs at Google, at uh, PwC, at Accenture, like I mentioned. Um, but there's also some people that have chosen to start their own thing. Mm. I think that that's very daring to start your own business. Um, so I mean, for me, I I really like to see when people. And, and, it, and it's not necessarily when somebody has, has scored one of the big name. Like, 
I guess that impresses me because it's easy to see like, oh, wow, cool. They could, they could go there. Mm. But the thing that I think, I think is more impressive is like when somebody's like, I reached my goal or like I overcame, you know, my, my obstacle and now I'm, you know, I made it, mm. you know, whatever that definition is, whatever that success means to them. Yeah. That's really cool. But uh, the thing is, is I don't have like a success story, like top of mind that I could really open up and share details about. I think that the better thing to do would be to talk with some of these people. You know, there's quite a handful. One of one of the things that I'm really proud of is uh, when there were two two guys from the first program who wanted to start like creating a, a network that's now called the AI Think Tank. Mm-hmm. And they've uh, they pulled together uh, you know, different organizations, this one and then also another one here called AI Sweden to sort of endorse this monthly gathering of helping share what AI is about mm-hmm. to a larger audience. So people can learn about these things. Yeah. I guess what the thing that I was missing in the beginning of building the program was like, where do I go to learn about this stuff? And that's what they created. And that was really cool. Like, they took uh, the initiative themselves, uh, built something, invited people to come and listen, and then they kept doing it. Mm. They kept showing up and doing it. Yeah. And then it built some momentum and now it's been carrying on for like three years and that's pretty cool and it's they've even passed the baton on to new people who passed the baton yet again and i think that that's pretty cool yeah definitely i really like the fact that they started something allowed that to grow and then yeah passed it on to someone else to see where they take it and now that's happened again for the for the second time there's another success story at least from my point of view which is another student from the first program who noticed that there was an organization here in Sweden called AI Sweden who had been involved uh, with what we're doing here adjacently for a while and took it on himself to design with them a program. Like, hey, let's start um, a program so that way people who are studying here in, in the school have somewhere to continue learning uh, as they're going to be placed in in companies, because there's there's a gap that could be filled where, you know, somebody wants to go be placed at a, at a particular company, but maybe they're missing a very specific set of skills. So, uh, this guy took initiative to create this setup, which has now been running for three years. Uh, which is really the thing that makes it so great is that he identified a problem and then built something together with other people that would solve that problem uh, in a way that was relevant for everybody involved. Mm. Is it perfect? And no, of course it wasn't perfect, but it's improved over time. And I think that that's like, that's what the program's about. Like identify an issue, see how you can create value and then build that value. Mm. That's awesome. That's the whole point of the program. And if it is specific to AI, you know, then, then that's, that's great. But the business consultant part, I think, has more weight. And I think it's also more, I think, relevant in, in what's coming in the future. Mm. Can you notice where there's a problem and find a solution? Yeah. 
and then have that solution you know, bring value to everyone who's involved in it. Yeah. Awesome. Can AI help? Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> knowing whether or not it can or knowing whether or not it's worth it, I think, is a key, key bit of knowledge. How do you stay current on the latest developments and advancements in AI and incorporate them into the course? Well, I've got a couple of different people who keep me informed, I guess. I, I'm not particularly skilled at filtering myself because I, I spend time on Twitter like anyone uh, and LinkedIn and so on. Uh, I don't think that LinkedIn is a particularly good source of information or filtering for that matter. It's a lot of noise. However, there is uh, a person there who I think is communicating a lot of good news or like a lot of relevant news as part of his brand. So I, I pay attention to him. His name is John Luca, and he's been invited to... <laughs> okay, so funny, funny story about John Luca and one of my mistakes is that in the building of the program, I had asked our advisory board who's who's helped in the curriculum design, who could be good people to bring in to the program. And they had mentioned this guy, Gianluca Maro. And I ignored that suggestion in favor of uh, some someone else that I knew. Uh, which, that worked out fine. But had I listened to the suggestion in the very beginning and trusted the people who knew something, then I think it, it it would have been different and I would have known and had him involved for a longer period of time. Mm. So my apologies to the very first crew who didn't get the benefit of this particular guy because I think that he's really interesting. Yeah. And he, he, he has this thing called Tech Pizza where he talks about what's going on in the tech world. Mm. And, and he has this little digest, you know, a couple times a week, I think. So I pay attention to that. I, I also have... Um, some friends, we just share interesting tools and talk about what does it mean with one another. Yeah. And I think that that's fun. And being here, I think I just end up swimming in the the news a lot because, I mean, you're pretty informed and, mm. you know, your, your crewmates are informed and there's people who are sharing news all the time. So I think I place myself in that environment. Mm. How do you see the field of AI business consulting evolving in the next five to 10 years? I have no idea. A five to 10 year time horizon is longer than I think I can see right now. Maybe in the next handful of years, there will be, I think that there will be people who figure out how to use AI to optimize their own work. And there will be people who don't. Uh, and the people who figure out how to, how to use it will, it'll change how they think and do work mm. some people will become hyper productive and that's more power to them some people will be productive but then use the the remaining time to focus on other things and that's more i guess a sociology thing but you know what people do with their time is up to them i think from a business perspective there's there's going to be an adoption challenge i imagine like there's so many tools out there that can help us save time. Which tool do we use? And then when we use the tool, moving to that 
is going to cost us more in the transition before it's actually saving us money. And I think individuals are going to find ways to optimize their own work faster than some companies are going to use it. The big companies, they're already way ahead in the in the playing field, but I'm, I'm just focusing on like, you know, the company that I work at or like the, uh, the web design uh, studio down the street mm. or, you know, um, let's say the, the supermarket chain, you know. It's going to be expensive for the first few years to get this figured out because it's like you need to do twice as much work. One side of it is do the job that you're currently doing, still at the level of quality that people expect. And then the other part is, okay, I want to learn how to do my full-time job more effectively so that I'm adding time to learn how to improve something that's already taking all my time in order to keep being relevant. And 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 the kind of ironic thing is, is that like, then you're spending more time across the whole thing. So... I don't know. What does that do if everybody does that? I'm not sure. How do you ensure that the course is accessible and beneficial for students with varying levels of experience and knowledge in AI and business? That's a big challenge. That is a big challenge because part of what we do is we, by by the nature of what a vocational education is, we do not have any literal prerequisites to get into the program. So anyone may apply. From my understanding with our uh, recruitment process, there is there is a selection in, you know, okay, are you interested in specifically this program? That's a meaningful variable. And then what are some of your uh, experiences that would uh, make this a good match? And of course, there's also the, the application task, and then there are other admissions criteria that have to be fulfilled. Uh, but the thing is, is that somebody could have a background in photography and want to take this course. I was speaking with somebody the other day who was a is a is a jazz musician and studied music at university and wants to take the course. And I'm like, that's cool. Mm-hmm. And I think it's also interesting when there's people who have totally different backgrounds coming in to like learn something new together because then they have different perspectives. Yeah. So then. The perspectives question becomes really interesting because then, you know, a person who is really into jazz music and and not just into it but has studied it and knows that entire world will look at things through a totally different lens than somebody who's worked in construction. Mm. Now, both will be affected by AI in some way in their respective fields. Mm. Some maybe more than others. The construction person is probably going to be introduced to logistics uh, and administrative optimizations. But the jazz person might be more intrigued with the the artistic side and producing music. But then also not just like writing and making the music from an artistic perspective, but production of music, the way producers produce music, editing and sound and... Like you're going to edit this podcast later mm. and there's probably, I don't know, probably an AI tool that would be able to remove all the gaps, clicks, ums, and ahs and everything. You could just... There is. There um, is. <laughs> I've, not, I've not used it. I probably should start using yeah. it. But yeah. yeah. I mean, you'll, there'll be some time that you have to learn how it works mm. and check if it's doing a good job. Yeah. Um, I think the thing is, is that we've got some 
some fundamentals and all of the projects are intended to be accessible from uh, like a, a no knowledge level. Mm. And what we're working on now is we're working to make the curriculum uh, kind of modular so that let's imagine one person is only going to do uh, one one project. It should be possible to do that project completely standalone without any other dependent knowledge from the other projects. Mm. And the best case scenario would be that a person goes through every single module or every single project so that way at the end of the education they have all these unique experiences that they can say, wow, I've learned a lot. Mm. But it shouldn't in principle matter if they do only the first one, only like three middle ones or mm. only the last one. Yeah. Like technically they ought to be able to do it. Mm. And so so we're still working on like the the practicalities of how do we quality assure that? Yes. Yeah. Because I mean from from another perspective, the approach that we have at Hyper Island is that in the beginning it's going to be very steered and like very hands-on and and we've learned that being too too open-ended and choose your own adventure in the beginning is is too it's it's too loose that mm -hmm. people can get lost so to be very very instructive and directive in the beginning and then as the program continues then we start to you know by the end we're totally letting go and it's really directed to them mm -hmm. so i would say that that's how we're doing it and, and working together with students about their personal needs in the start and then also getting them to work with each other, yeah. to coach one another yeah. as the program goes on. Nice. Yeah, yeah cool. It's, it's interesting to see how the course evolves over time and how you also iterate on the course design. Yeah. And, I'm, and I'm, that's what I'm working on right now. Mm. I'm working on how is this program going to be iterated for the next session or the next uh, intake yeah. in August. What are the career opportunities and paths for individuals who complete the AIBC course? Paths that I see and that I have seen been taken are you could be a pro, uh, project manager. Project manager this is a, a Canadian way of saying it. You could be a project manager. That's very, very clear because there's a lot of stakeholders that need communication and then being able to speak each independent language and understand what is meant. That is a great skill that you learn here. You could uh, you could be in sales. Uh, you could be in uh, customer success. You could be potentially uh, an entry level um, developer. Uh, you could also be an entry level um, like data wrangler. Right. It depends really on which which thing you want to focus on. Mm. But I think that there have been a lot of people who really want to go more in the, the sales path or the project management path because that is a lot of what gets practiced here. Mm. Communication, teamwork, being able to make sure that things are clear between all the different people involved. What would you say that you're looking at coming down the line? I'm interested in product development. Product development, um, cool business development within with some either a company that works with AI yeah. or an AI focused startup or something like that. Yeah. Um, eventually, I would like to run a consultancy, yeah. maybe find ways to help people with 
AI. But I think for me, I'm focusing on the technical aspects now and then we'll eventually transition over to the business side of things mm. in some capacity. Mm. Yeah, cool. I mean, I think that that's also a very important perspective, right? You can also take the entrepreneurial path, like being a, a product owner, developer. Like, I think there are some people who definitely want to extend their knowledge after the program. They're like, okay, I know what I want to do. Now I want to like get more understanding in this area, yeah. whether it's you know data or engineering or or something like that. And I, it's kind of like the next step, whether you, you get hired or you go to school again or you start your own thing. In all cases, you're going to be learning. Yeah. So it's going to be something new or something more, I think. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. For my last question to Dano, I ask him about his direction beyond managing the AIBC program and what avenues he intends to explore in the future. Yeah, I'm, what I'm exploring is I'm exploring communication, right? Because I, I have that entrepreneurial streak as well. Mm. And I want to see what I can make. And now I've made a program and I want to improve it. I've tried, I've tried changing it completely. I've tried changing nothing. And now I'm like, okay, so maybe to change it again, knowing a little bit of like what's, what's important. Uh, something I've learned is to understand a system. Sometimes you have to shock the system a little bit to see how it responds. So what, what happens when you, you know, shake something up? Uh, get a lot of information that way for sure. Um, it also changes your relationship to the system. So uh, this this program, as it's currently running, is a is a totally inverted design from the program that you went through. Mm. We put the beginning at the end and the end at the beginning. Okay. Uh, it, not exactly, but some parts were completely yeah. swapped. And I think that as a result, they're in they're in a totally different space. Um, so I think. I'm going to re redesign things, maybe in some ways, back to how it was in the start, and then also to simplify and remove some some things. And then there's for myself the the entrepreneurial side. Like I, I would love to try my hand at, at putting together a, a product myself. Mm. And uh, there's a, a developer who I'm talking with, and we're exploring what that could be, because yeah. I see some opportunities in you know, just the way that people are looking for work, you know, yeah. and I think that that can be really improved. Mm. And it doesn't even have to be anything particularly magical technically, but it could, it could just be a better interface. Yeah. You know, you'd asked earlier, what do I think that businesses are going to be doing? How is AI going to impact business? And I, and I think that interfaces is a huge part of the world. Maybe that's my bias since I was a UX designer mm. for a while, but like how do we interact with our objects, devices, technology, each other. Because there's always some medium between us. Like there's some value that's outside of me that I want, whether it's a job or a new insight or food. You know, I, I want to take that thing that's outside of me and then put it inside of me, you know, into my world. Yeah. Uh, so that way I can use that, you know, use the food for energy, use the job to you know provide for my family or use the insight to you know, you know change the way that I do things or change the way I look at things mm. and I think that AI is accelerating how that exchange happens because there's a lot of things that take a lot of unnecessary effort 
but some things I think need to be worked for too. Mm. Like you need to actually sweat a little bit to get what you need. Yeah. But I'll, I'll just say I'm, I'm not a fan of bureaucratic work. I'm not a fan of filtering, <laughs> you know, through tables or, you know, that kind of thing. Like yeah. I think that there's some things that are just drudgery that can be removed. Uh, if I can have a final say for, yeah, for anybody who's listening, it doesn't have to be anybody who's yeah. in the program, but like anybody who's listening who wants to know about AI and or wants to work with that, I, I would say that the best thing to do is to talk to people who are already doing it mm. in some way or like a little bit more than you. Yeah. <laughs> as long as they're doing it a little, they know a little bit more than you, then you can you can learn a lot just by talking with them. Great. Last words. Um, nice one, Dan. Thank you for listening to this conversation with Dan Omar about his journey as an entrepreneur and curator of the AIBC program at Hype Island. You can find Dano via his website, www.danomar.com or on LinkedIn. All the important links can also be found in the show notes. If you're enjoying this podcast, feel free to subscribe wherever you're tuning in from. You can also leave questions or suggestions via the contact form on our website, 99projectspodcast.com. The 99 Projects podcast was produced, edited and mixed by David Richardson and music by Jen Erickson. We'll be back next Tuesday with our guest, Natalia Moroba, designer, illustrator and researcher who talks about her journey, having her artwork shared by Snoop Dogg and becoming a specialist in UX, UI and service design at her current role at Gullers, an agency for social change and impact. See you then.